Hi, and welcome to NACIO Voices, where we talk all things state IT. I'm Amy Glasscock in Lexington, Kentucky. And I'm Alex Whitaker in Washington, D.C. Today, we're talking with Casey Dolan, Senior Policy Analyst for Cybersecurity with the National Governors Association, and Meredith Ward, NACIO's own Director of Policy and Research. Casey and Meredith were co-authors on a brand new publication from our two groups entitled Securing States, Modernizing to Attract and Retain Cyber Talent. The insights and advice in this report, in my view, are useful for all kinds of state government entities, even those outside of cybersecurity. I think everyone will enjoy hearing what they have to say. Meredith and Casey, welcome to NACIO Voices, and thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Amy and Alex. Thanks for having me again. Excited to be here. Great. Well, we're excited to have you. Um, And we are here to talk about this new report, Securing States, Modernizing to Attract and Retain Cyber Talent, which is a collaboration between NACIO and NGA. I understand the findings came from a joint roundtable on state government cybersecurity workforce. Can you tell us about the roundtable and why our two organizations decided to hold one? Meredith, let's start with you. Thanks, Alex. So I will say that the origin of this idea came from my twisted brain last year. In the 10 years that I've been at NACIO, you know, workforce has been such a challenge. Cyber workforce, a lot of people would say, is reaching crisis level in states. And what we really wanted to do is get a bunch of different um, stakeholders to the table. So NGA being, you know, great partners in the past, we decided to to go down this path. Um, and Casey can talk a little bit about our first, uh, how we started out in Columbus. But this publication is a is a culmination of honestly almost a year's worth of effort from the two organizations. Yeah, we started out uh, back in Columbus, Ohio. In June, we hosted a workforce kind of workshop, and there was obviously a ton of buzz around the topic. A lot of conversations. I think we had allotted forty five minutes, and it certainly was not enough time. So that really led us to. I mean, I guess Meredith was yeah brought us this fantastic idea. And I think one thing I'm really proud of is that we convened really that broad base of state officials. So it was our state chief information officers and those chief information security officers, but well as human resources, professionals and governors, advisors who really weren't in the room that first time. So I think it was a really productive discussion. Yeah, great. And, you know, Meredith, you mentioned that it's becoming a sort of reaching crisis levels. And I'll make a shameless plug for NACIO's advocacy arm and say that we even added it to NACIO's advocacy priorities this year and just sort of um, focusing on workforce. So appreciate just all the work everyone's doing on it. But Meredith, based on what you heard during the roundtables and from your conversations with CISOs around the country, what are some of the top workforce challenges that state governments are facing right now? So great question, Alex. And I'll also make a plug for advocacy priorities. So y'all go and uh, read those if you haven't already. They're on NACIO's website. But workforce challenges are creeping up in just about everything for state CIOs and, you know, honestly, other sectors in state government. So CIOs are really concerned about are they going to be able to meet digital government challenges in the future, cybersecurity challenges, We have a lot of state workers right now who either left the workforce during COVID. There's a lot of folks who are eligible for retirement right now. And so right now there's an issue, but CIOs are really concerned about the future. So when CIOs need to deliver, uh, like I said, increased digital government services, you know, during the pandemic, that's one thing that citizens kind of really grew to expect. As CIOs are consolidating, as technology might be coming, 
obsolete. For example, if states are moving the mainframe off-premises, really having those folks that can fill those jobs is a huge concern for state CIOs and state government in general. Great. So before we dive deeper into the recommendations, Casey, give us a quick overview of the main recommendations in the report for overcoming the challenges that Meredith just mentioned. Yeah, sure. So you'll definitely see this kind of pretty early on in our report. But to summarize, I think we can say, you know, first, we want to capitalize on the aspects that make state government an attractive workplace and effectively circulate kind of that marketing campaign that speaks to diverse audiences. And I think we'll talk a lot about that later. But we also recommend, you know, reworking position descriptions to reflect what we call industry standard job titles. We want to reduce those barriers to entry. You know, there's outdated requirements and unnecessary requirements at that. So I think, you know, we want to think about job descriptions being written with intention to, you know, bring people in. We don't want to prevent people from applying, especially when there is such a huge workforce gap. I think it's at around 700,000 globally at this point. Uh, Our third high-level recommendation is for states to adapt to the enduring impacts of COVID. So, You know, this looks like things like modernizing the workplace by offering flexible schedules, remote hybrid work from home options. It also means focusing on the culture you're fostering and addressing burnout. And, you know, that's something we've definitely seen on the rise since the pandemic began. And our kind of fourth high level recommendation is, as you see in all areas of cybersecurity, I think, you know, partnership is key. So our state members are aware of the importance of leveraging the resources and expertise in the private sector, academia, federal government, nonprofit organizations. But we'd really like to see more widespread action and finding ways to collaborate together and, you know, educate and train the workforce in creative ways. Great. Well, I'd love to dive into all of those a little bit more. So your first recommendation is one that, you know, frankly, I don't always hear about as much when I hear a discussion on workforce woes with state government folks. But I think it's so important, and that is branding the state government as an employer of choice. You know, the state government, if branded correctly, can be a really attractive place to work for people. It makes people feel like they're giving back and have a career in public service. And those are all things that can be very enticing. So tell us about that one. Uh, Meredith, let's start with you, and then we'll hear from Casey. Yeah, thanks, Amy. And I think one of the things that really came to light during our work is that government sometimes says, I really need to, we really need to be like the private sector. And of course, there's some things that government needs to align more closely with the private sector that I could, you know, go into later. But government is not the private sector. They are unique. There are opportunities uh, that workers in state government can experience that you can't experience in the private sector. So really, you know, government does not do, in general, does not do a good job of marketing itself. So when we say an employer of choice, you know, two states that really come to mind, Texas CIO's office and the Georgia CIO's office, in their respective states got best places to work. And that is extremely important. In the Texas case, I think they're the only government maybe on the list in the city of Austin. Mm -hmm. So that's a big deal. And really playing up how people can give back, how people can make a difference. Casey might talk a little bit about this, but the majority of our workforce today is made up of the millennial generation, which is folks born in, I think, 1982 to 1993, something like that. Uh, Someone will check me, I'm sure, on that. But a big characteristic of that generation is they want to give back. And government service is the perfect way to do that. 
Agreed. And I think just part of this branding discussion is beyond government service, right? Kind of like Meredith said, finding what each generation or each just, you know, I kind of call them candidate profiles. Who is your target audience? What skills, what does their background look like? And again, I would say we want these people to come from diverse experiences, but think about what is going to be important to them in a workplace. So there are certain benefits and stability that the government offers as well. And maybe that doesn't speak to some people, but in light of all these tech layoffs we're seeing, maybe it is a really strong message. So I just think you know, agencies could really benefit from sitting down and thinking about what is unique about working with us? What makes this a great opportunity? What kind of tools do you get your hands on and get to work with in the cybersecurity space that you, you know, might not get to work with in other places, especially, you know, you're doing security work at a whole state level, Yeah, which can be uh, really cool. And I think just being able to kind of convey that in a job description from the outset is important. Yeah, your job could actually be much larger in state government than it might be if you have, you know, one small section of responsibilities in a big private company, for instance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we're just at three years, almost exactly, since we all went home to work in March of 2020. And while some of us are back in the office a few days a week, many of us still haven't returned and, and may not ever. Casey, I'd love to hear how you believe that's changed employee expectations and what states can do to meet those expectations. Yeah. So I think anyone who's listening in to this podcast will hear this question and immediately have a list of ways that their lives were changed with, by the pandemic and obviously in very personal ways. Uh, because of the health crisis and the impact of such, you know, large scale losses, I think people realize that there are some big picture things that sometimes take precedence over work. And that means that that balance and that flexibility to be with family, spend time taking care of your mental and physical health, that's become kind of a non-negotiable. So if your employer isn't going to demonstrate that they value you in that way, you can walk away. And now that's gotten far easier now that, you know, we've gotten out of that part of the pandemic when, organizations were laying off workers and you kept thinking to yourself how lucky you were to still have your job when many of your friends and family were faced with that uncertainty. So jobs, you know, were pushed to remote work from home environment. We saw that we were able to adapt and use Zoom. It became a household name. And again, initially we saw some challenges in disconnecting from work at the end of the day, but we've become so good at, I guess, kind of refocusing on different things like mental health. You know, I spoke to burnout earlier uh, and a lot of employers took on initiatives to support their employees. And those are exactly the types of places that people flock to. So speaking broadly here, organizations that forced employees back to the office experience retention losses. And because employees know what they're bringing to the table, they can, and they know that they can do it just as effectively from home. They're simultaneously saving time and money from commuting, not having to buy lunch. You know, states, I think if they want to be competitive in this talent acquisition process, they need to kind of transition to this, you know, quote unquote, post-pandemic world, especially in state government where there are tight salaries. If you can shift and offer those other types of benefits, I think you'd really be do doing yourself a service. Yeah, for sure. And we've we've adapted to Zoom, but Meredith still has to remind me to take myself off mute sometimes. So it's true. <laughs> still, it's true. I'll have a little ways to go. So something else we are thankfully considering more now in 2023 is diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging. How should states be thinking about that when it comes to recruitment, hiring, and retention? Uh, maybe Meredith, you first, and then we'll hear from Casey. 
So Alex, that's a great question. And I think really building on some of the things that Casey was just talking about, I always try to think about during the pandemic, what are some positives that could possibly come out of this really devastating um, situation that everyone in the world experienced? And I do think with the pandemic, the civil unrest in 2020 and 2021, the murder of George Floyd, things like that, that people are really looking at diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. I know that our CIOs are. It's something that every CIO has told us in our uh, workforce or state CIO surveys that they are thinking about, that they're looking at. And, you know, one of the interesting things is that I don't think that employers have to be everything to everybody, or clearly they're not responsible for everything on an employee. But the important thing is here in diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, it's that employees can be their whole selves when they come to work. And so diverse opinions, diverse backgrounds are important. You know, when looking at some of those classic things like gender, sexual orientation, race, religion, things like that, it's really important that we focus on that. It's also really important that we focus on diversity of background, diversity of thought, and getting so many perspectives in state government. So, That's how I think for recruitment, hiring, and retention, what states should be thinking about. And it's not something that states can or anybody can sweep under the rug and not think about because we talked about that millennial generation. And besides millennial generation, them wanting to give back, they also hold a really high importance on diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. I think the statistic is like 75% said that was important to them. And even older generations, like I, you know, joke, I'm Generation X. Well, that's actually not a joke. I am Generation X, but that's something that's really important to me as well. So Casey, what do you have to add to that from some of our work that we've done? So if you need additional reasons on why diversity is so important to an organization, decision-making outcomes are improved, productivity, retention, profitability. And I think when you shift that into kind of a government-focused job, constituents and people who are receiving their services from government want to see people in government that look like them too. Cybersecurity, it is a little tricky because it is right now a pretty homogenous field. And I think there's work that needs to be done long-term to educate people that these kind of careers exist, um, make it more accessible, especially computer science education and things like that. I am hopeful, but you know, there's definitely near-term actions that can be taken now and then couple that with the long-term more education kind of initiatives. I'd really like to see where we are in a few years. Great. And I would just like to say, even though Meredith identifies as Generation X, we are the same age. And I really believe I'm in that bridge generation called Xennials. Listen, I'm just saying what the data tells us. You know, you're what, a week week older than I am? I just didn't listen to enough REM to feel like a true Gen Xer. Oh, man. Somewhere somewhere Lisa Thompson is upset that you just said that. (laughs) Anyway, I digress. Okay. So, Part of the problem is that there just aren't enough cybersecurity professionals in the marketplace to go around. Casey, how can states work to improve the cyber talent pipeline? So there are a few ways. For one, I'm a strong believer in the value of apprenticeship programs and internship opportunities. And I think that these can be developed to provide students with opportunities 
to gain skills on the job and get them in the door for these types of careers early. Again, we were just talking about educating people on the idea that these careers even exist. And I think that is a great place to get people in the door, kind of low risk for them, especially if they don't already have cybersecurity certifications. There are also programs that target mid-career professionals who are looking to make a pivot in their career. So it's not just undergraduate students, and there's really kind of a wide variety of forms that these types of programs could take. This also kind of leads me to upskilling and reskilling initiatives. So think about the struggle with state government jobs and the fact that salaries maybe aren't competitive, or maybe not maybe, they aren't competitive with what big tech companies are able to offer. However, if you create programs that train workers in completely different sectors of the economy who have lower earning ceilings, this can be a huge opportunity for them and a really big draw. And you can also focus on the workforce that you already have in state government because you know that these people have a passion for public service. So why not further that by reskilling them for a really mission-critical national security job? Uh, And again, they can likely earn more money than what they're doing in their current role with the state. That's great. A lot of creative ways to think outside the box to to get more folks into those roles. So speaking of jobs at the state government level, uh, we, as we all know, state job titles and classifications sometimes can be a little confusing and even a little antiquated. Who wants to apply for Network Manager 6, for example? Um, but what should states be doing to improve that, Meredith? I think that I'm going to change my title to Network Manager 6. <laughs> that means there are five people at NASIO that are better than that uh, than me. <laughs> And you all should know there's only about 10 NASIO staff, so I don't know what that tells you. But anyway, so Amy, to answer your question, this is one of the biggest frustrations with state CIOs that, like you said, job titles are out of date. Classifications might be from 30 or 40 years ago. And we all know with IT and with cybersecurity that things change, you know, on a daily basis. Technology gets updated, terms get updated, and it's really difficult for states to modernize. It shouldn't be that difficult, but it is. So I want to point to the largest state in our country, California. A couple years ago, they were able to take something like 100 and something IT job classifications and whittle that down to, I think, 30. So I say this, that if the biggest state in the country can do it, so can you, smaller state. It does take a lot of work. It takes a lot of cooperation um, with central HR, but it can be done. Another thing along those same lines where, you know, what do states need to do to modernize in recruiting and retention? Some of the practices that states really need to look at are, for example, in job advertisements that besides just titles, things like gendered language or things that might make women or people of color not apply. These aren't things that people sit down and think, okay, I'm going to put these, you know, nuggets in a job description. So, you know, certain groups of people don't apply. That's not what's happening here. It's unconscious bias. So there are free software programs, believe it or not, that will help here. Another interesting thing or things that states really need to do, I don't know if anyone has looked at a job advertisement lately, but a lot of the private sector, they're putting in, you know, even if you only qualify for half or 75% of these qualifications or what the job is looking for, please apply. 
That's because studies show that women generally only apply to a job if they meet 90% or more of the job qualifications. So that's extremely important when we look at getting diverse perspectives, getting diverse applicants. And, you know, along those same lines that states can't just post the job or, you know, sometimes our boss, Doug, calls it post and pray. You have to go out to where people are and making these modernizations and improvements like job titles, classifications, neutral language and wording. Those are things that makes it easier to recruit and retain. Yeah, for sure. Casey, Meredith has just talked about this a little bit, but beyond sort of modernization of job titles and that sort of thing, can you give us a few specific examples of things that states are doing to overcome cybersecurity workforce challenges? Absolutely. And I think, Meredith, you made my job easy. You teed it up for me perfectly. So during our roundtable, we heard a lot of best practices from our state members, and there's a lot of good work being done across the country. So Kind of going right off what Meredith said, Texas described an interesting tool that they've implemented that reviews job descriptions for biases before it gets posted. So they're able to gauge whether that language leans a certain way and actually tell them whether it would deter women or people of color from applying. So I think that's kind of a really exciting development. There's also a program in Georgia that I think is great and really something that I think could be easily adopted in other places. And we're hearing other states that kind of caught wind of this from the roundtable and are already hoping to kind of implement the same thing. But they're going to the ground level and they're growing awareness around cybersecurity professions within the state. They're developing what they call a speakers bureau. And this bureau is made up of employees who volunteer to speak to schools. And I think that that is just such a good way to show students that people just like them are working in these careers and also demonstrate what those careers look like at various levels. And I guess I'll shout out one more state, our host state, South Carolina. And again, kind of to that branding piece, in 2019, they launched the state's first ever careers website. And so they're using a statewide media strategy on social media. And they have a whole team of content creators representing 22 state agencies. And those folks are helping them shape their message, gather employee testimonials, and share them broadly. So You know, when states modernize their recruitment and retention tactics, just think about what proactive tools are being used by some of those top companies. And branding, again, is a huge part of that. And like Meredith said, meeting people where they already are on social media or in schools like Georgia's doing, you know, that makes a good first impression and uh, really captures people's interest right away. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, we're talking about reaching millennials, but I think reaching Gen Z also is, uh, you know, a, a challenge and one that I'm uh, glad I don't have to be in charge of because <laughs> I, I have no idea how to talk to them. Okay, so anything else you all want to tell us about the report, Casey and then Meredith? Yeah, I guess just kind of more as a parting thought, and I don't know if this is, you know, stated anywhere in the report, but I think it's just incredibly important that we understand, again, I've said this kind of a few times throughout this recording, but Cybersecurity is an issue of national security. So these jobs are critically important. And, you know, you're seeing more and more news reports of ransomware attacks on the rise. Threat actors get more and more creative. So we can continue to talk about these challenges, but we're at the point where action needs to be taken. And I think at the highest levels of leadership with governors and, you know, we're seeing commitments at the federal government as well. But that's really important to get those resources dedicated to programs like the ones we discussed today uh, and really get them up and running. So Again, just kind of on that same national security vein, I think public sector is not trying to compete with the private sector. And Meredith said the same thing earlier. We need workers in both of these sectors. 
there's benefits to working in both arenas. And I think really a culture of encouraging employees to gain experience in both government and the private sector is important to well-rounded professional development and for people to kind of really find where they fit at the end of the day. Yeah, Casey, I couldn't agree more. And I think that kind of the crux of what you're saying is as cybersecurity is a shared responsibility, so is cybersecurity workforce challenges, which is, you know, why we started out on this path to start with. So CIOs, CISOs, governors, governor staff. We've also had conversations with our legislature friends who are very concerned about this and how states are going to meet challenges uh, moving forward. So everybody has a part to play and there's something that everyone in state government and the private sector can do to help this. But Alex, you asked anything else that we want to mention. One quick state example that I want to mention, and then I want to plug really quickly where people can read the publication in a couple different ways that they can read it. The state of Maryland is piloting a one-way interview project. And so what this does, it's so, you know, hiring managers can record questions, you send it to a potential candidate, and they answer it kind of on their own time. So what this does, it really helps neurodiverse candidates, it also helps with scheduling. So people don't have to take off work. So that's something that we hadn't mentioned that I really wanted to make sure that people are aware of, that I think What we've heard from states is they're willing to try just about anything and everything, but they want to try things that work. Um, And so that's one um, that's really good. And then so the final thing, NASIO is trying something a little bit new on this publication. We will have our normal PDF, of course, that folks can download. Casey and I will, of course, sign copies if you'd like to give, you know, gifts to your friends and family. We don't recommend that if you want to keep them as your friend (laughs) and family. But we also have a website. This is uh, from the creative brain of Emily Lane, which is NASIO's brand and programs director. So the vanity URL is nasio.org forward slash cyber workforce. And that is available right now. Today is the release of the publication. So we hope that folks look on that website. There's some interactive videos, some quotes, some different things presented that we normally haven't done. Casey did this with one of her publications first. So obviously we can thank her for the idea, but it's hopefully it's really cool and we'd love to hear your feedback. Yeah, we'll, I'll make sure and put links to the regular PDF and the website in our show notes. And I would also like to say, you know, I love that one-way video idea. I think that's a great idea for also anyone that just feels like they want to throw up when they go to a job interview. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so it's, it's a different situation that could make things a lot easier for a lot of people. Um, okay, guys. Well, that has been a great, concise overview. I don't even know if people need to read the report now. Just kidding. Go read the report. <laughs> Please but, do. Please read the report. <laughs> but before we let you go, uh, we're doing a quick this or that edition of the lightning round. Are you guys ready? Yes. I'm ready. All right. All right. So this is a quick addition, but if you feel like you need to explain, I think feel free. Uh, I I think that's for me, right? Those are instructions (laughs) for me, Alex. I'll try and keep it tight. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, well, let's start with you, Meredith. Sweet or savory? Alex, I like both of them together, believe it or not. All right. I believe it. Casey? Sweet for me. Okay. Uh, Casey, let's start with you. Spring or fall? Spring. Everything's new. (laughs) Okay. Oh, that's tough. I love flowers, but it's also hard to beat fall in Lexington with football in Keeneland. I'm sorry, Alex. Right. I'm not. I'm not making this easy on you. I'm sorry. It's it's <laughs> fine. It's not a pass. It is a pass fail. So you're good. Uh, 
Meredith, morning person or night owl? I hate to admit this, but I am a morning person. When I have my first sip of coffee, it's like all is well mm-hmm. in the world. Casey. I don't really think I'm either, but... Um, Casey does not pick... like a day. Casey doesn't like days in general. Solid noon girl. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> if I had to pick, I would pick a morning person. I think if I publicly manifest that here, it can eventually become true. <laughs> Awesome. All right. Well, thank you for playing. All right. You both passed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <coughs> okay. Woo. Barely. Pressure's Barely off. Okay. No, no, seriously. All right. Well, thanks again, Casey and Meredith, for coming on the podcast and telling us all about the new report and sharing your ideas with us. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for, for having, having us on. Thank you all. Thanks again for listening to Nacio Voices. Nacio Voices is a production of the National Association of State Chief Information Officers, or Nacio. And if you like this episode, please share it with a colleague who you think would also like it. We'll be back in two weeks. Talk to you then. Bye.